Welcome to Today in Space. We are brought to you each and every week by AG 3D Printing. It's my personal 3D printing service, and what I'm trying to do is help bring your ideas to reality. You know, this time of year, it's the perfect time for college students to be fine, you know, finishing up projects, especially engineering students, uh, design students, art students. You know, you've got 3D printers on campus, but those labs fill up this week. So don't get caught and miss out on that A because your school's 3D printing labs are full, okay? Don't do it. Reach out to AG 3D Printing. We're here to help you get that A and to pretty much get done what you need to get done. Bring your ideas to reality, dare I say it again. So check us out at www.ag3d-printing.com. And you can check out all our blog, you can check out our projects, you can check out the prints that we've done, and you can get a quote for a print today. Uh, we can return them really, really quickly. Our lead times are really quick. You know, We can get you this week uh, for your final projects. Just reach out to me and we'll figure it out, okay? Oh, and did I mention that it's 25% off for all students for 3D prints at AG3D Printing? Oh, yeah. So that too. Also, it's the holiday season, okay? It's a few weeks into December now. You're probably thinking, oh my God, I haven't gotten a gift yet. Well, what's the best way you're going to do? Are you going to sit in line? Are you going to go to the malls and try and find a present and deal with just the insanity that is people at a a mall? No, fuck that. You're going to do your shopping online on Amazon.com, right? Well, guess what? If you want to help support the show... And do your Christmas shopping. You can do both at the same goddamn time. Can you believe that shit? All you got to do is use our Amazon link that's that'll be in this week's episode's description or it's on our homepage at www.todayinspace.net forward slash home. Okay? Click that link and then do your shopping. That's it. It's easy, simple, free. It doesn't cost you anything. And we get paid for sending you there. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So spread the holidays cheer, spread some science, spread some love, and please use our affiliate link to do your shopping this season, okay? Thanks, guys. I really appreciate all the support. And let's get into this week's episode, okay? A lot to cover. Let's do it. All right, so we need to do a SpaceX update because it's been a while. There's been a lot going on, and only recently have we had uh, some more data that's good enough to bring forward. So let's let's catch up on SpaceX. So if you remember, there was an anomaly, an anomaly at their Cape Canaveral space launch complex, and the rocket exploded on the pad, you know, destroying the rocket and the payload that was a $200 million communication satellite for Facebook. Uh, it hit the news. Everyone saw it. Uh, I even had people tell me about it before I found out about it. So uh, also on that same day, uh, Tesla's stock dropped. Uh, I think it was like $40. Uh, so it was a. It was not a great day for Elon Musk and crew at SpaceX and Tesla. So 
since then, the issue has been that nobody really knew what happened because it happened in such an instant. So, like, the, the amount of data they had to work with was tiny. I don't remember what the actual number was, but uh, we're talking fractions of, of a second. So they just could not figure out why it just instantaneously exploded. There, you know, were rumors of foul play and this and that. Uh, but on November 7th, there was an article that came out on space.com from Irene Klotz that is titled SpaceX finds rocket explosion smoking gun. So what they found, the investigators found is that the rocket's liquid oxygen accidentally got so cold that it became solid. And then that transformation triggered a chemical reaction with a carbon composite container that was holding liquid helium that is inside the oxygen tank, which is the same tank that became solid. So essentially, the liquid oxygen solidified, and with it, it solidified around helium tanks and blew up, basically created cracks with the carbon composite container. And apparently this is something that never happened, according to uh, Elon Musk, said the problem is surprising, and he said it had never been encountered in the history of rocketry. Now, um, to give you a little history on Elon, he's a very well-read person. He pretty much self-taught himself rocket science uh, while he was in college and just going to libraries and just absorbing information. Uh, That's where he actually thought that SpaceX could be a possibility. So for him to say that it hasn't counted in in the history of rocketry is a big deal. He doesn't just make claims like that. Uh, So the other thing, though, is that apparently there was a panel of experts that had written to NASA eight months before the incident about the lack of a recirculation pump aboard the Falcon rocket and that it could be a safety problem. And that letter was only released on Friday before this article, November 7th. So, it's... And this the, the, the letter, though, was written back December of 2015. So, basically, we're... To quote them, they say, We are concerned that there may be insufficient pre-cooling of the tank and plumbing with SpaceX's, in parentheses, current planned oxidizer fill scenario. Former astronaut Thomas Stafford and members of the International Space Station Advisory Committee wrote in that letter, Without recirculation, there may be stratification of oxidizer temperature that will cause a variation in the input conditions to the oxidizer pump. Now, Essentially, what they're pointing at is uh, historically back to uh, the space shuttles with NASA space shuttles where they actually used a recirculation system uh, and the pressure lines kept the liquid oxygen temperatures consistent so that this never really happened uh, with the fuel tank. So the liquid oxygen never solidified on the space shuttle. So basically what what we've got going on here is a SpaceX has clearly chosen this system for a reason. I believe part of it is because it works better with 
the way they've got their entire Falcon system lined up, I'm sure it's also intended to help them cut down the cost. But uh, now you've got the old, the old way, the old space is now basically competing with new space. You know, they are pointing out problems, which is good. I'm not by any means saying that we shouldn't be having this discussion. I think it's great, actually. I think it's amazing that the old and the new are, are, are discussing this and we're able to actually see it go down uh, even maybe a few months later uh, in some letters that gets released after something like this. So I think this is great. Um, one thing that I've definitely noticed as a theme is that the old space and new space, uh, there's some some kind of weird rivalry uh, thing going on. So you always have to take uh, people's motivation into question. Um, what I'm trying to say is I want to go deeper into this story. I, I didn't have enough time to go into it this week, but as this keeps progressing with SpaceX, you know, every time they're going to have a failure, it's this kind of stuff is going to come out. Um, now I think it's very important for private space to new space to be able to try new things, to not be completely shackled by the flight history way of of flying that we've done before, because we're, what, uh, 50 years uh, or more into the space program? We're in our first, we just passed our first 50, our first half century of space travel, right? Being involved in space. So... There was a, at this point, the way space travel was done of the old way is that you don't fly something that's never been flown in space before because it's too risky. You know, you go with the tried and true method. And I think that works. I think that's, that's a good mentality, but you can't live and die by that sword because what's happened now is things become, uh, They've, they've become too expensive. Under that mantra, things have gotten too expensive. They build these huge, massive things uh, that sometimes don't even get red-lighted. Like the Constellation program, we spent millions, if not billions, on the Constellation program, and then we shut it down with the next presidency. So we just wasted a whole bunch of money and funding and potential science to make, you know, the one way we get into space, make sure, you know, all these little things are, are good. I think that's a, a, a safe way to do it. And I, I don't think that SpaceX sh- or any kind of new space company should not launch or should not do new things uh, and, and should not be held responsible. They, they should. But we also need to, to if we're going to make it cheaper and we're going to make it better and we're going to do this new way of going through space and breaking just going into orbit. You know, we say we go into space, but all we do is go into orbit. We haven't been close to the distance away from Earth as the moon since the Apollo program ended. So we've just been playing around with this because, oh, well, we know it works. Well, if we're going to get further, we need to try different things. So with SpaceX... It's, for me, it's understandable that 
you know, they're, they're testing the bounds of, of new things. If they're going to use a system that doesn't recycle oxygen, then they just need to figure out how to make sure that that temperature doesn't get there. I mean, they've had all these launches. It hasn't been an issue before. So for them, they're going to have to figure out, okay, what were the conditions that, that made this happen? Um, you know, going back to their tank situation with the hydrogen tanks being inside the liquid oxygen tank, that must have been for some kind of, I don't want to say, well, it must have been some kind of weight reduction. And it probably, they probably saved a whole bunch of cooling costs if the hydrogen tanks could be cooled by the liquid oxygen. That's very interesting. But it's definitely a problem if the entire liquid oxygen tank solidifies in an instant and essentially crushes the oxygen tanks, right? And then it causes a an instantaneous explosion, basically. It's almost like everything just imploded on, on itself, you know? It just... You can't have the liquid oxygen tank solidify like that. So whatever happened, I hope they figure out what happened, which brings us to the most current news, which originally SpaceX was slated to come back in uh, mid to late December, and they were going to do a launch this month. But they have recently just said that they will not be launching until after December and into January, and that will be the Iridium 1 launch. So... They've said themselves, actually, let's let's read the official statement from SpaceX. So, the anomaly update for December 7th 10, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. SpaceX stated that we are finalizing the investigation into our September 1st anomaly and are working to complete the final steps necessary to safely and reliably return to flight. Now, in early January, with the launch of Iridium-1. This allows for additional time to close out vehicle preparations and complete extended testing to help ensure the highest level, possible level of mission assurance prior to launch. So, if I were to read between the lines, very short update, very concise, and it just seems like, like everything we're talking about, it's it's something that, it at its core is is what their entire system is based off of. So. It's not like they can just be like, oh, yeah, let's just put the cryo tanks, uh, the hydrogen tanks outside of the oxygen tank now. We'll just make that little fix. I don't think that's something that they can just do. I don't think (laughs) that's an easy, you know, we'll just undo this and put it out there. I bet you that's a whole restructuring of their system. So because it is an an anomaly, it, it is exactly that. It's only happened once. And... If they can figure out what caused it, were the conditions that caused it, and avoid that, then uh, this should never happen again. Now, the reason they're pushing further for the first time in what what I've seen uh, in their history, I could be wrong, but you know, it seems like they're taking some extra time. They're they're a very uh, move forward kind of company, like like keep charging ahead you know, we will figure it out on the way kind of pace with where they're going with space exploration. But taking this extra, what, month to finalize the reports, 
make sure that they've got all their testing procedures, see if they can fuck it up again. You know what I mean? They got to figure out and see if they can recreate the conditions. And if it does happen again, then they're at a very interesting point where they get to test and uh, manipulate and see, okay, if we change this variable, does it disappear? And if so, we need to make that part of our procedure so that we ensure, hopefully, that the liquid oxygen tank doesn't solidify instantly anymore. <laughs> and it, it destroy not only the rocket, but the payloads on board. So, it's a very interesting uh, last, see, it was September, three months for SpaceX. Uh, not too much being spoken because they've been busy, 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 not only on their Falcon 9 missions, but on their Mars missions. And uh, the new system they released about going to Mars. I mean, they've got so much going on. Uh, If they take an extra month, I think we'll all be fine. Mars will still be there tomorrow. So, good luck, SpaceX. I hope everything goes well. And uh, that this anomaly is just that, that it was an anomaly. This week, I would also like to start talking about uh, the end of the Cassini mission at Saturn. You know, Cassini is a, is, is a really amazing mission. It launched in 1997 and performed its first flyby uh, in its start at Saturn. And it, it's found out so much. It's done, it's done so much in our understanding of Saturn, its moons, and the possibility of what could be out there for us to discover. And it's beginning the end of its journey, you know. Uh, it's It's been there since 2004, which means it's been there 12 years. And now it's going to be performing its last missions where it's going to be grazing the outer edges of the rings of Saturn to find out a whole bunch of things, you know, through radio experiments and basically sniffing out those rings and and figuring out what's there and getting us closer to to them than we've ever been. So we're going to be able to find out more about some of the moons that are actually involved in some of those rings and what's in those rings. I'm sure we'll find out gravitational stuff, but basically uh, starting, it it already started December 4th. It took its first uh, dip into the edges of the rings and will be performing, uh, it planned, the next pass was December 11th, so it was yesterday, and the uh, it's going to do 20 ring-grazing orbits in total, and those will continue through to April 22nd, when it's going to f- last fly by uh, Saturn's moon Titan, which, after it flies by Titan, Titan actually will reshape Cassini's flight path, so... Is this crazy? You guys got to see this this animated version of the orbital paths of Cassini. Like when you really think about what we're doing with spacecraft around planets, where I mean, gravity is everything. Like if we didn't have gravity, space travel would look completely different. Um, we're basically just doing like this crazy orbital scheme around Saturn, and it's coming in and basically it's doing these 20 passes by the rings and then titan is gonna pull it slightly to change the orbit so it goes uh it leaps over the rings right 
to the inside between the rings, between the rings of Saturn and Saturn itself. And then it's going to do 22 plunges through the 1,500-mile-wide gap between Saturn and the innermost ring. And that's going to be the first one of those inner passes is April 26th. On September 15th of 2017, the mission will conclude, and it's going to Cassini's going to do a final plunge into Saturn's atmosphere. And during that plunge, even while it's it's diving down to its imminent destruction, it's going to be doing science and transmitting data of the atmosphere of Saturn its composition and all those things. And it's going to keep doing that until it signals lost. It's going out like a fucking rock star. I mean, this is like the things of science fiction. Like if we could put, you know, some kind of human traits on Cassini. I mean, it is, a, it's, it's, it's a mythical God. Like it's, it's one of those characters, you know, in science fiction that, you know, goes down with the ship because it's the right thing to do. Like the, the, the crazy guy in uh, uh, Independence Day that flies into the... <laughs> the drunk guy who flies into the ship and ends up saving everybody. You know, like Cassini is is just a, a badass. It's done so much. You know, it made so many different discoveries from the oceans that are indicated in Enceladus liquid methane seas on Titan, like these different scenarios changed the path of, of where space exploration, planetary exploration is going. You know, if Cassini hadn't done so well, we, I'm, this is a guess now, but we probably wouldn't have gotten in, in the better position we're in now with a planetary program where we're going to see more programs going throughout our solar system and hopefully into our Oort cloud, you know, we were in a bad shape over the last few years with the planetary program, you know, New Horizons being a huge success was huge to the planetary program. Cassini being a huge success is huge because there's literally, there's nothing we can do about it now. There's literally a few years where we will not have any new spacecraft planned or going to anywhere in our solar system. And that's because for whatever reason, planetary exploration wasn't something that was exciting enough to uh, keep funding going for it. So we had a few years where, and we will have a few years where we won't have anything going out there. But since then, there's been so many different new missions that, that are going on board. There are missions being worked on right now, and that gap is closed. So uh, we are, uh, we will be going back to planetary exploration. And this Cassini mission is, just shows you, like, why we do it. I mean, you, you've probably come across uh, a lot of these images of Saturn. Uh, the really famous one is the, uh, the one where Saturn is between Cassini and the sun. So you basically get to see the dark side of Saturn. So you kind of see through the rings. And then actually, I was watching a video on the Cassini mission. 
there's actually, you can actually see on the dark side of Saturn. And the reason being is that the light that's hitting those rings is reflecting back on the dark side of Saturn. So you don't even get a fully dark side on Saturn because the rings reflect the light back on it, which I thought is really, really interesting. Uh, and what's really, really interesting is the way you guys got to check out this, this article, um, for Cassini and goes over where it's going to do the first ring raising plunges. It's so cool to think about the planning, like the team that, that took this first mission. It had, you know, one goal. It was just going to go to Saturn and, and check out the moons, basically do some flybys and, and check some stuff out. And it did so well. And they performed their orbits and flew their spacecraft so well that it was extended two more times to then use the entire life cycle, 12, almost 13 years of a spacecraft, being able to work on that for 13 years and see it through its changes and, and, find a final destiny and use that craft as much as you can. That is a successful mission. Cassini mission has been successful, more successful than it was originally intended. So Cassini, amazing mission. If you haven't checked out the photos from Cassini, please, please, please go to the link in this week's episode and check them out. It's fascinating and i can't wait to find out what we hear back from these ring grazing orbits and then what we find out in between the rings and saturn up into the final resting place of cassini on the planet's surface because saturn actually does have a solid surface most of it is gas which is what we're gonna figure out on that crash through the atmosphere fucking incredible i love science okay so let's jump into the 3D printing update for this week, okay? It's week two for AG3D with me doing it full time. Let's get into it. Okay, so on this week's 3D printing update brought to you by AG3D Printing, we got a new printer. That's right. We have a new printer in the fleet. Uh... The fleet currently was the XYZ Printing DaVinci Pro 3-in-1, which is a 3-in-1 printer that has a 3D printer, a laser scanner from making a 3D model of parts, and a laser engraver. And the RigidBot Big was my first 3D printer and has a huge build size. So uh, it'll be for those projects that are a little bit bigger than most 3D printers can make. And also doing a bunch of a uh, you know a large plot uh, large bed of parts, huge assemblies that that kind of thing. The newest printer, the Prusa i3 Mark II, just arrived before I started recording this podcast today. So I am really excited. I bought it in a kit form. It's uh, one of those printers that I found. I had seen a whole bunch of times, didn't really know the history behind Prusa, uh, who's an actual person, Joseph Prusa. And he was a college student who, from my understanding, found a, uh, figured out a design for a 3D printer and wanted to sell them. And 
basically dropped out of college uh, and took the money, I guess, that he would have used to be in college to start his business. And now here I am talking about his 3D printer and I bought it. And it's it's one of those printers. I love the mentality behind it. It's you're, you're going to buy the printer and then they're going to build on that printer. So, you know, you'll be able to buy upgrades, but you won't have to buy a brand new 3D printer. You know, it's it's I love that old school, you know, make it right once and, you know, uh, build off of that original version instead of having you buy a brand new printer when something little changes. You know what I mean? So I, I love that. And also there's so much other great technology in this. I mean, the reason I went with the Mark II and I never really came around to the Mark One was because the, it was essentially, I mean, my RigidBot Big is based off of that platform, which is an open source um you know, there are actual parts on this new 3D printer that are 3D printed. So you could reprint, you know, if one of those parts broke, you know, you could reprint it and put it on. So just amazing stuff like that. And they're always doing new things like they have this multi-extruder uh, platform essentially where you can get two or four different materials running at the same time. So you could have one print that is up to four different materials or four different colors or two colors and two different materials. You know, the the possibilities are endless, but essentially brings our capabilities up a lot, which means we'll be able to uh, finish projects uh, sooner. We'll be able to, the, the, the design opportunities with multi-material are endless. I mean, if we could get it down right, we could do something that's, uh, part solid plastic, part flexible plastic, and, you know, do a bunch of different colors and basically print a final part in one go could be possible. Also, we'll be able to print in dissolvable um, support structures, which means we'll be able to print basically uh, high complex stuff and use a washable support. So basically you print it out with the supports, put it in a tank of water, and the supports dissolve. So completely eliminating the whole process of, you know, uh, God, uh, trying to remove some of these supports sometimes. It's just impossible. So we're really, really excited to have the Prusa i3 Mark II as part of the fleet and expect a blog post on the build because, again, it is a kit. So I'm going to be building it myself and I'm going to be taking videos. I might do a live stream on Facebook. Uh, so check out for it on Today in Space. And I'm really excited to get that going. And if you guys have any questions, please reach out. And I would love to cover any kind of topics with 3D printing or look for anything in 3D printing you guys are interested in. So reach out and get in touch with me, okay? And you can do that at today in space podcast at gmail.com or ag3d.engineering at gmail.com. Or just go to the websites and you'll be able to contact me there. Cool. So that we'll, we'll cover that for the 3D printing update this week. Uh, oh, uh, what? I almost forgot. Uh, we also had to expand our operations because right now we have one box, the Rave box, where the DaVinci Pro sits and it's an enclosed box, wood and glass so that it's airtight so that we can vent out the plastic fumes, especially from ABS. You're not supposed to breathe those things in, especially since we are in a basement and I sleep here. So 
we need to build a box. Now that we're going to have two printers up full time, eventually three printers once I get the RigidBot big back up and running with the, the upgrades it needs, we need to have more space and more uh, hood space, basically. So I needed to expand the container, the Rave box. So uh, I got a table. Uh, it was six inches shorter than the table that the original box is on, so I had to make a box to match that up. So that was done yesterday. And basically, I got to build the frame, add in one glass panel for the side door, and install the glass door that I already have built, and we'll be up and running. And basically, it'll now be fit for two printers, and the ventilation system will just be the same. We're not going to uh, add another, you know, ventilation pipe and put another hole in the wall. It's ridiculous. So we've got plenty of airflow in there. We'll be able to handle both printers running at the same time. And I'll keep you guys updated on how that goes. And look for blog posts. We've got one coming up uh, or later this week. And it's about some of my last challenges and how we got through those. And that's kind of what the project's blog on AG3D printing is going to be about. It's going to be about projects that I take on, uh, sharing the knowledge that I learn with you guys so that you guys can learn too. And hopefully, you know, if you ever get into 3D printing, which in the future, 3D printing, I feel like is going to be like everyone has a smartphone. Everyone's going to have a 3D printer at home. So getting involved in this early, getting involved in the future early, I think is really important. And so I want these projects to be up so that when you start 3D printing and you run into a problem, you'll have already gone through or you'll have a place to go to that has already been there. So it'll be easier. I mean, that's the beauty of the internet. That's what's gotten me through a lot of this 3D printing uh, learning curve is other people that have put content up that has helped me out. So I want to return the favor. So check out the project's blog. Uh, hopefully we'll be doing one a month uh, and then we'll start there. And just, uh, you know, keep listening today in space for any updates on those printing projects and when they're going to come out. And we, we got so much going on, people. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but it's been a good week and we're going to power on to this week. So follow us this week on Instagram for, uh, everything new with the Prusa i3 Mark II. And this has been the 3D printing update. Also, this week we lost astronaut John Glenn uh, on December 8th, 2016. Uh, John Glenn was an amazing person. He was the first American to orbit the Earth. And he was also an Ohio senator. Uh, He passed away at the age of 95. So... Just in that fact, he lived a full life, but he really did live a full life. I mean, he was part of that original class of astronaut that it was, you know, they were, they were real rock stars. I mean, they were, they were like pilots, you know, pilots do get a certain like social standing, but especially back, uh, in the early days of NASA, like the Mercury program and stuff, but astronaut pilots, astronauts, like they were in a class of their own. Uh, they, they really did 
if if the astronauts were not so big as far as you know not just their personalities but their lifestyle and what they were doing was so big and, and their personalities reflected it i don't think the space race would have been the same you know it it added a, a human element to space travel that was necessary it was a that's what made it man walking on the moon you know that's what you know they helped create the heroes you know if if they weren't as cool as they were uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a space program like we did today i mean yeah you can argue obviously that there was a military aspect to it and that um you know it was a it was a cold war kind of thing the space race with the russians blah 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 but i think them being cool and good people made it more about man reaching moon humans reaching the moon than it did about us beating the russians it made it about those people those astronauts and their families their families were a big part of it too astronaut wives the, the they moved and picked up their entire lives and lived in florida in these neighborhoods of astronaut families they had support within themselves you know they they were just an incredible group of people and john glenn was part of that generation and he's got so many great stories i mean one of the great things i saw this week uh, in memorial of John Glenn was one of his first moments in the media that he really shined at the media took to him and they were asking him were there any points were there any experience experiments that they were doing tests that they were doing that they didn't like uh, and uh, I'm paraphrasing I, I, I don't have his quote but I, you can watch his video uh, actually you know what I'm going to play it let me pull it up here. It's it's too good. I we can't not have him say it. Uh it wouldn't do it justice. So let me pull up that clip. And I got this clip because uh Amy Shearer, uh who does vintage space on YouTube and she also does uh Discover News on the Science Channel. Uh she was also on the Pluto Minute. That's where I ended up finding her. So thank you, Amy. And so this was John Glenn's response to uh, which tests were the hardest for being an astronaut? I think uh, the test out at Dr. Lovelace's uh, place at Albuquerque out there, uh, certainly some of the tests we had out there were the most trying. And it's, it's rather difficult to pick one because if, uh, if you figure how many openings there are on the human body and how far you can go in any one of them... <laughs> which one would be the toughest for you <laughs> so there you have it folks john glenn the man who's lived an incredible life and i uh wish him well. i mean he lived a full life man he was 95 years old um and just wanted to share some kind of celebration of who he was as a person. We can't obviously scratch the surface at everything that John Glenn did.
did and was and is. Uh, but that was one of my favorite moments from this week in uh, remembering John, John Glenn's life, as extraordinary as, as extraordinary as it was. So Godspeed, John Glenn, and thank you for everything you did and you did for the space program and what you did made it exciting and, and extraordinary and you were the first American to orbit the Earth. Like, just incredible. So thank you, John Glenn. And we'll close out this week's episode. Thank you for listening today in space. And as always, uh, spread love, spread science, and uh, don't forget to use our Amazon affiliate link to do your holiday shopping. And support the podcast. Remember, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Oh, by the way, for those that were waiting for a writing update, I did actually get back to writing this week. So really weird sometimes the writing, you kind of hit a block somewhere and whatever. I'm back at it, uh, trying to do it every other day and shooting for every day soon. So uh, thanks for everyone that uh, reached out and checked in, see how everything was going. Appreciate it. Appreciate all you guys. And we'll be back next week with another episode. So thank you and see you next week.